Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. I am thrilled today to have the opportunity to continue what I began ministering on Wednesday night. And so uh, for those of you who were able to watch it or if you were here, uh, we want to uh, continue to learn about the exceeding greatness of God's power towards us. The exceeding greatness of God's power. And so if you'll join me in Ephesians chapter 1. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, And this is one of my uh, favorite places to pray from. In Ephesians chapter 1, we see a spirit-inspired prayer given to us that we can pray for ourselves, we can pray for our family, we can adapt it to to pray for our leaders, uh, to pray for our pastor. Please pray for your pastors. Amen. We, we desire for you to bring a prayer supply. We pray for you, and so uh, we're grateful for all of the, the praying that you do for us as well. And so when we uh, allow this to speak to us about praying, it uh, gives us an insight, but we're looking at it from a position of what the Holy Spirit desires for us, what God desires for us that's encapsulated in this prayer. So Ephesians chapter 1, it says in verse 16, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And this is what the Apostle Paul was making mention, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. In the knowledge of Him. So He desires for our born-again spirit to be operating in His wisdom, to be operating in His revealings, that He is able to show us things that our eyes can't see but our spirits can receive. We took a number of weeks and we talked about our being in Christ. And we looked from uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 17, where it said, If any man be in Christ. And that phrase, in Christ, notes a fixed, definite position. And the position you have in Christ, you can't see it with your eyes. You can't feel it with your emotions. You can't identify it. You can't say, well, today I'm in Christ because I feel like I'm in Christ. I I, I know I'm in Christ because I feel like I'm in Christ. You're not going to have an accurate reading from your emotions, from your feelings to determine that you're in Christ. For you to know you're in Christ, you're going to have to let the Word and the Spirit reveal to you from the Scripture, I'm in Christ. 
I'm in Christ and because I'm in Christ, I'm a new creature. I'm not who I was. I'm not what I did. I'm not where I've been. I'm a new creature in Christ. And as we look into the Word, the Word acts like a mirror to show us an accurate picture of what we look like. You've never seen your face. You have never seen your face with your eyes. You have never seen your face. I can look at your face, but you can't look at your face unless you have a mirror and you're looking at the mirror. And if you've got a mirror, if if you go to the carnival and you look in a trick mirror, you might think your face looks really long. You might think your face is wiggly, right? You can look because they can adjust those mirrors to make it look different, right? So you've never seen your face. You've looked in a mirror and you've seen a reflection of your face. And when we look at who we are in Christ, the Word of God will never be a trick mirror. It will never give you a false image. But if you look at the Word and walk away and go back to what your feelings tell you, then you will forget what you saw in the Word. You'll forget what the Word showed you of who you are in Christ, what the Word revealed to you about your image in Christ, that you're an overcomer. But you could walk away from the mirror of the Word that has just revealed to you you're an overcomer. You could have looked in the mirror. You could have saw it in the mirror that I am of God and I am uh, uh, greater is He who is in me than he that is in the world. But then you walk away and you get a, a bad report or you open up a, a letter that makes you uh, uh, upset or you, you, somebody tells you they don't like your, your clothes or something, you know, they, you, you, your hair or whatever, and you, you go back to what your feelings tell you. Well, I don't feel like I'm an overcomer today. Well, don't forget what you saw in the mirror. Don't let go of what image was revealed to you in the Word because this is how we operate in the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. In the knowledge of Him, I am able to see accurately who I am. I'm able to identify accurately my position in God, my position in Christ. I'm not under the circumstance. I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Amen? And so this spirit of wisdom and revelation is is not uh, weird or strange or kooky. It's not going to make you hard to be around. It's not going to make people look at you funny uh, when you go through the store unless they, they, they look and if then, unless they're talking to you and tell you, whoo, aren't you scared? Aren't you terrified? And you say, no, I will not fear. I will not fear because greater is he that isn't. They might look at you strange then. But this spirit of wisdom and revelation is our way of operating. This is, we are to walk in the wisdom of God. We are to walk in what's being revealed to us from His Word and by His Spirit, which causes us to live a lifestyle of victory, causes us to walk above the circumstances and situations. We're not victim to what's going on around us. We are victorious because of the greater one who resides in us. 
And so this spirit of wisdom and revelation is something he is praying for the church in Ephesus and it's applicable for the church at Faith Builders Little Rock today. That God desires for you and I to operate in the wisdom and revelation in our born-again spirit by the help of his spirit in the knowledge of him and as a result of that we will have verse 18 operating in our life. Verse 18 will be in operation as that wisdom and revelation. It says, the eyes of our understanding will be enlightened. The eyes of our understanding. So that we can look and understand. We can, we can look into the Word and the understanding comes and we can know things that aren't revealed to the senses. We can know that we are more than conquerors, not by what we feel like, not because of symptoms in our body or absence of symptoms in our body, not because of what's in the bank account or what's not in the bank account. We know we are more than conquerors because we have the wisdom of God on that and it's been revealed to us and as a result, the eyes of our understanding are flooded with light. One translation uses that phrase, flooded with light, that the eyes of their understanding would be... So we're talking about a bright light. Amen. You know, when the uh, high school football games, you can see the lights of those football games of that stadium for, for some, some distance. Yeah. Why? Because it is brightly lit. They've got those huge... Uh, lamps, and they are, are blaring the light down. Amen? And that they're, they are flooding that arena with light. And God wants there to be so much light coming into your life that you're not deceived by any darkness. Amen. You're not deceived by any wrong doctrine. You're not deceived by, by the, the, the cunning craftiness. You're of, of, of people trying to lead people astray, but you are walking in light. You are children of light. You're wearing the armor of light. Amen? So this light, the eyes of our understanding being enlightened is necessary for us to know these next three things that the Holy Spirit identifies. Three things that the Holy Spirit put in the Apostle Paul to pray for these believers, and they are three uh, principal elements for believers to walk in today. And the first one is that you would know what is the hope of His calling. The hope of His calling. Now the calling of God is not an end in itself because He said many are called but few are chosen. So the hope is an earnest, eager expectation. So when we're talking about the hope of His calling, there are a lot of things we're called to. We're called uh, into the Beloved. We're called to walk in righteousness. We're called. So it's not just talking about a five-fold ministry calling, although uh, God does have that in the lives of many people. But for every believer, we're called to righteousness. For every believer, we're called to sanctification. For every believer, we're called to walk in victory. Amen. So the, this calling is an open invitation is a good way to define that word, an open invitation. What is the expectation, the hope, the expectation of this open invitation? Amen? Amen. And then he says, secondly, that you would know what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. 
And the more I pray this for us, because I pray it for myself as well as for you, the more inspired I am to study about our inheritance in Christ. You know, I did that when we were teaching on our position in Christ. I did, I think, three, three sessions. But I've, I haven't moved away from my own personal study on our inheritance in Christ. Amen? And I keep seeing things about our inheritance in Christ. I keep seeing aspects of our inheritance. It's, it's much bigger than, than most people think. And so for us to see it, for us to know what is the hope of His calling, for us to know what is the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, for us to know it, we need to have wisdom and revelation so that our understanding is lit with the light of God concerning these things. You can't see it with the natural eye. You can't identify these things with the natural equipments. So he says that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. The exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. So he doesn't want us just to know the power from the perspective of, I know God has that power. He wants us to know that this power is working towards our life. He wants us to know that this power is, is aimed at our life. It's aimed at what he's called us to do. It's aimed at the path he's called us to walk. The exceeding greatness of his power. He wants us to know it. He wants us to know this hope. He wants us to know this inheritance. He wants us to know this power. Hallelujah. Because it's working towards us and it's working as a result of our faith who believe. Towards us who believe. So believers are um, wired to conduct this power. This building is wired to, con to conduct electricity. We have specifically wired, we didn't, but the builder specifically wired this so that there would be power coming to our light fixtures. We also have specific chosen wiring coming to these outlets in specific places. Because the use of this building before us, it was a call center of some type, a communications uh, a call center with a lot of uh, different... So uh, on, on the floor, in, some, in between some of the seats, there are some extra kind of plugs. Why? Because it was wired for, specifically for that. Well, the power of God is not wired everywhere. Not, every, not everybody walking is is uh, connected to the power. They could be if they're born again. You have to be born. When you get born again, when you become a new creature in Christ, old things are passed away and all things are created new, but it says all things are of God. So all of those old outlets that don't plug in for God's power supply, they are removed and you are outfitted with all new outlet plugs that specifically work for God's power cords. Hallelujah. So the believer, you are wired for the power of God. You're wired for miracle power. 
You're, you're wired for power that, that causes the lame to walk. You're wired for power that sets the captive free. You're wired for power that, that brings light into the darkness. Amen? That power of God works towards those who believe. He wants us to know the exceeding greatness of this power towards us who believe according to the working of His mighty power. The working of His mighty power. Now, I went through this and we'll go through it again because I need you to, I need you to understand the weight of what He was trying to express in using the different words that are used in this verse. The word power in different forms is in this verse four times. Four times. And I'm going to identify them for you. First of all, the, the first word power when it says the greatness of His power towards us, the greatness of His power, this word power is the word dunamis. And we would identify this in talking about the power that we receive when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Jesus spoke of this in Luke 24. And in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, He said, uh, You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. It means explosive power. It means miraculous power. It is the word from the, uh, the Latin word, or it, it comes from this word, and it means dynamite. It's expressing the dynamite power. So what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us? But it would also be defined as power stored within something. Power stored within something. So when we have the, the power of God by the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we are walking around with His stored power. Amen. He said this exceeding greatness of this inherent power, this power stored within something. The second in the, in the, in the King James Version is the word working. Working. According to the working. This is another word that describes power. It's the word energy. Energia. Energia in the original language. And it means outward or overt power. Power on display. Power on display. So if you were to use both to describe someone, for instance, if you walk into a gym and you see a man who is a bodybuilder and you can tell by looking at him there are power in his, there's power in his biceps, you can look at him and tell he has inherent power, power stored within those muscles. But then when he sits down and loads 300 pounds on that bench and sits down and begins to bench press 300 pounds, you now see the energy, the working, the working of his mighty power, right? The working, the outward display of that power. In this verse, the word mighty is also a word to define power. The word mighty. The working of His mighty power. And this word is the word ichus, I-C-H-U-S, and it means endowed power or endued power. And then we see the word power used again at the end of this verse, and it is the word kratos, which means ruling power. So we have four operations of power, four operations of power in this verse. 
we see that we have the exceeding greatness of His inherent stored power towards us who believe according to the outward display, the working of His endued ruling power, His endued delegated power. Hallelujah. All of the power of God in full operation. And then he identifies where this power went to work, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. So this power began its operation in the raising of Christ from the dead Yet it was not complete in its operation until it seated him at the right hand of God Almighty, the right hand of the Father, the right hand of power. So it, it began its work in the raising, but it continued and continued and continued until he was set. And so that positioning of Jesus at the right hand of the Father is just as much the work of the resurrection power as bringing him back to life in the grave. It was the resurrection power that went to work that established him at this position. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why is that important? Why is that important? Because believers all over the world have stopped at just one place in their operation of the power of God and they say well at least I'm going to heaven and they're satisfied with that but they have not yet let the power of God have its operation in their life to bring them to the place where they are seated together with Christ in heavenly places where they are in that position of authority exercising authority over their finances exercising authority in praying for their government exercising authority in believing for situations and driving out darkness in in their community amen that exercising of authority is only operative when i've taken my place when I'm seated in that position in Christ and without me allowing that resurrection power not only to raise me up from my dead condition of who I was before Christ, not only raising me up out of my sin, but also seating me as a righteous child of God, as an heir and a joint heir, as an overcomer and more than a conqueror. If I don't take that place, it hasn't had its full scope of operation. The power of God wants to continue until we are so firmly positioned in Christ at the right hand of the Father that not one adversity can make us feel like we're about to lose something. Not one difficult situation can shake us or move us because we're not dealing with our situations from our position in the world. We're dealing with our position in Christ. In Christ, I am never a victim. I, you are never a victim. If the enemy can make you feel sorry for yourself, it's because he's made you think you're a victim in that situation. And when he came to Jesus and tried to make Jesus feel like he was a victim, he said, when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, well, you are the Christ. And he said, God has revealed that to you. And then he begins to tell what's going to happen to him on the cross. And on the third day, he'll rise again. But Peter said, no, 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 no. 
No, pity yourself. Pity yourself. Think about yourself. That can't happen to you. You're above that. Pity yourself. Think about yourself. And Jesus whirled on him and dealt with him in a way that was stronger than most of the religious people he dealt with. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. Because Satan wants to make people feel sorry for themselves and think about themselves because selfishness is, is at the root of selfishness is pride. Hallelujah. And Jesus would not even allow that thought to have any operation in his mind. He would not put himself first. He cast that down and, and called it a thought from Satan. Pity yourself. Think about yourself. Don't let that happen to you. If I am in Christ, I never allow self-pity. Ooh, I'm helping somebody today. If I am in Christ, I will not allow any situation to make me feel like I should... What about me? Poor me. Don't they care how I feel? Cast that down. Cast it down. Cast it down. Because I'll tell you where it will lead you. It will lead you where Ahab was when he was upset about Naboth's vineyard. What about me? I'm the king. He ought to give me that vineyard. I'm the king. And in that atmosphere of self-pity, murder was devised. He should have rejoiced in what he did have. I'm the king. I have the fastest chariots in town. I'm just going to go have a chariot race. I own the best property in the countryside. I'll just go visit some of my other property. Why am I focused on what I don't have? Why am I focused on, on this situation? When I'm in Christ, I'm not seeing myself as a victim to any situation because it's impossible to be victorious with being a victim at the same time. You can't be a victorious victim. You cannot allow that mentality because it totally undermines your position. In Christ, are never a victim. In Christ, there is no situation that has power over you because you're in Christ. So there may be situations you can't control, but you can control yourself in that situation. They, they may be doing something that I can't control. I had a situation uh, with a family member. It was out of my control. They're making decisions that are out of my control. But I can control how I respond. I don't have to lose my joy because of how they're acting. I don't have to, I don't have to lose my peace because of, of that choice that they made. Amen? I can maintain my joy and maintain my peace because Jesus hasn't changed. My joy is in Him. My peace is in Him. He hasn't changed. Hallelujah. So this, this position, this position in Christ seated is the ultimate result of this resurrection power at work in us. I want to take a, a, a different path than I took on Wednesday. And let's take a step uh, in... in a different direction here. I want to look over at, uh, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. 1 Peter 1 and verse 3. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again. This is talking about our new birth, talking about new creature in Christ. Has begotten us again unto a lively hope, a living hope. A, a, and that hope is expectation. A living expectation by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hallelujah. God has raised us up, given us new life, made us alive unto Him, given us a new birth by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God. Where's that power? It's the same power that raised us from the dead when we were born again, raised us out of spiritual death. You are no longer a sinner by nature. Your nature is changed. You are now a partaker of His divine nature. So if, if, if someone says to you, well, I'm a sinner saved by grace, they're violating Scripture to say it. If I am saved by grace, if I am born again, if I am alive unto God, I am no longer a sinner. I was a sinner. I was. I was a dirty, rotten, low-down, no-good sinner. I, I, I was a sinner, but I am no longer a sinner because I have been born again. I have been birthed by God with spiritual life, eternal life in my spirit. I am no longer spiritually dead. Hold your place right here and look at Ephesians 2 to see your before Christ self. I like before and after pictures. Do y'all ever like to see those before and after pictures? And you say, "Woo! look at that. Look at that. Well, you're about to see yours. Chapter 2, Ephesians, verse 1. And you has he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. Well, you weren't physically dead, but it was a worse condition. Spiritual death. See, when Adam sinned, he died. But it took his body hundreds of years to die. But he died immediately when he sinned and transgressed the instruction of God. He died. Did God tell him you would die? Look back at Genesis. Hallelujah. Genesis Chapter 2, verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. You may have a center column reference like mine that says, In dying you shall die. And the reason is because that word in the original language is plural. You're dying two deaths 
If, if you eat the fruit of that tree, in dying spiritually, you'll eventually die physically. He died spiritually in his heart. That's more important. The condition of the heart is more important because it's what's going to determine my eternity. Everybody will live forever somewhere. Everybody will live forever somewhere. We have the privilege, the opportunity during this earth walk to choose God by receiving Jesus as our Lord. Not every person on the planet is a child of God. Every person on the planet is created by God. But not every person on the planet is a child of God. To be a child of God, you must be born again. So the spiritual death that came into Adam caused him to die immediately in his spiritual condition. It took his body hundreds of years before his body died. Because we were created to live forever. Jesus came and redeemed by giving us access to receive our spiritual life back. Every person born after Adam's model. You know, if you go and you get the 1997 model of a certain vehicle or the 2012 model of a certain vehicle. They started with one prototype and they created all the models that came off that assembly line after that prototype. And so they may add a few little, it may be different color, it may have uh, different packages, you've got the sports package, you've got uh, the, the luxury package, different packages, but the, the, the base of that model is, is after the prototype. Everybody born after Adam off the assembly line came with Adam's condition of spiritual death. That's what it means when it says we were born in sin and shaping in iniquity. Yeah. We were born in this spiritual death condition. And then when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are made alive unto God. We are born again. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Babies are innocent Amen. until they come to the place to know right and wrong. They're not, they're not born again, but they're, they're in a place of innocence. So that's why babies who die before they come to the knowledge of good and evil, they they, aren't, they are not in hell. Amen? Because they're innocent. But when every person comes to that place to know right from wrong and there's nothing that necessarily identifies a certain age, it's a recognition of right and wrong. And, then, and so that, that choice to receive Jesus as my Lord causes the life of God to come in and rebirth me causing me to be spiritually alive where I was once spiritually dead. That's what it was saying, that we were dead in trespasses and sin. We were under the control of that nature 
that, that spiritually dead condition and that sin nature. So everybody before Christ, even if they've learned how to be good morally, they're sinners if they haven't accepted Jesus. By nature. Not, 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 not hammering anybody, not being mean, not trying to be ugly. But if, if without Christ, we are all sinners. But with Christ, we're no longer sinners. Amen? So it says, you were dead. Is that past tense, Ephesians 2, 1? Is that past tense? It doesn't say you are. You were. But something happened. You aren't anymore. You were dead. Verse 2, wherein in time past, before Christ, in time past, you walked according to the flow, the current, the direction the world was taking, the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's referring to Satan, according to, to that demonic flow, the spirit that now works, where is he working? In the children of disobedience. That's not you. No, we are children of obedience. We are children of the light. We wear the armor of light. But we were children of disobedience in the past, among whom also we all had our behavior. The word conversation in the New Testament is always defined as behavior. It includes my ver verbal communication, but it is more uh, accurate to define it as my, my behavior, my lifestyle, the way I act. So we all had our behavior. We all acted like. We all, we all behaved in times past in the desires the cravings of our flesh. What your flesh wanted. And that's why you would slap them down. That's why you said, oh no, you don't talk to me that way. And you didn't let them talk to you that way. Because you didn't have any self-control, any temperance. Right? We ha we, you were just, if the flesh said you were going to uh, snap back at them, you snap back at them. If the flesh said you were going to punch them in the face, you just punched them in the face. If the flesh said you were going to cuss them out, uh, uh, pull over in front of them. You did it because your flesh wanted to. And you just did what your flesh wanted to do. We all. It said we all. So all of us, we all, in the times past, we acted like what our flesh whatever popped up on the flesh screen. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm going to do. But then we got born again. And the Holy Spirit said, don't do that. Don't, 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 don't. Now you had the option. Before you didn't have the option. Unless somebody taught you some morals or self-control. There are some people who have been raised in good homes that, that they learned some, some exercising of self-control and they come to a place and they realize I never received Jesus as Lord but I had some good habits growing up. I had these good traits but that doesn't mean their heart condition had changed. So it says we all had the lust, the cravings, the desires of our flesh trying to control us and of the mind, and of the mind, things in the mind trying to direct us and, and lead us. 
we were by nature, were, past tense, we're not. It doesn't say we are by nature. It says we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hallelujah, He came to us while we were still in the sin. When He saved me, I still had the marks on my arms from the drugs I was putting in my veins. When He saved me, I still had my arrest record to deal with. When he, when he saved me, I still had all of the same attitudes and behaviors going on, but He came and saved me. If I, He hadn't saved me, I could not have got myself out of the mess I was in. We were dead in sin. We're not dead in sin. We were dead in sin, but He has quickened us, made us alive. That's talking about spiritually alive. We're now spiritually alive. He's made us spiritually alive with Christ. With is an important preposition. Hallelujah. With is an important preposition for us. Prophet Ford walked in with his wife today. They came in together. Hallelujah. With. With. Denoting. We're raised together. He quickened together with. Together with. So when Jesus was, did he die? Did he die for us? Did he die? Did he die spiritually? We got to answer that, don't we? He died. He died. He, he gave up the ghost is how the King James puts it. He gave up his spirit. He died spiritually and God raised him from the dead. You know... It calls him the first begotten. The first begotten. Wasn't Lazarus raised from the dead? Did Lazarus get raised from the dead? Wasn't there a man in the Old Testament who had, it was, they were carrying him to bury him and an attack from enemy came and they said, well, let's go ahead and throw him in this empty cave. They were under attack. And that man, did that man raise from the dead? So he wasn't the first person raised from the dead physically. There were other people that had been raised from the dead physically. But the Bible calls him the first begotten. The first begotten from spiritual death. The first begotten from the dead. Hallelujah. So God raised him, but when did he raise me? With Christ. With Christ, because so, God's, not, God's not stuck in time. He's not stuck in time. So when I believe, God can take me all the way back to when He raised Jesus from the dead and He can raise Michelle from the dead. Hallelujah. He can raise Brother Hawkins from the dead, Brother Billy from the dead. He, he raised us up when? With the same resurrection power that He worked, the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him and you and me. we got to put ourselves... The Bible puts us there, so I've got to put me there. The Bible puts me there. If I try to separate and put me somewhere else and say, well, Jesus got raised then, but I got raised... No, no, no. The Bible puts me with... With. 
So if the Bible puts me, I'm going to agree with the Bible, I got raised with Christ. When God raised him, he raised me. I believe that. I believe that. With Christ. So he says with. Hallelujah. With. Quickened with. And has raised us up together. 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 Did you know you got raised up together? I mean, think about the ascension. Think about. Think about the moment that Jesus entered into heaven having placed the blood on the mercy seat and God honored him, giving him the name that is above every name and, and seated him as the Lord and the head of the universe. And don't look and see yourself 275,000 chairs down. Woo, there I am way down there. He said, I'm with. He raised me with and he seated me with. Made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. So if the Bible puts us together with, we need to agree with together with. And again, this is where the spirit of wisdom and revelation will begin to operate in you to make you know things that your head can't see that your feelings can't identify. Now your emotions will finally submit to revelation if you'll let revelation have its place. And that's why sometimes we jump and sometimes we run and we get excited because our emotions are coming into line with what our revelation has already been set in place. Amen? So this positioning in Christ that comes because of the resurrection power is important. Let's go back to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1 and again at verse 3 it says, He has begotten us again by this living hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. By the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So if we only give our emphasis to the cross and not give the correct emphasis to the resurrection from the dead, we will not be accurate in the believing. What does Romans chapter 10 identify as the important aspect of our believing? Romans chapter 10, look, look, look with me at verse 8, 9, and 10. But what saith it? The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, or you could say the Lordship of Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Jesus is Lord. It's not just saying Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. It's saying Jesus is Lord. I'm confessing His Lordship. I'm confessing He is Lord to me. My Lord. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that, God, that He died on the cross. Believe in your heart that He shed His blood. Believe, is that what it says? Believe in your heart. Believe in your heart. Yes, 
we believe he died on the cross. We believe he shed his blood to pay for our sin. But this says that I've got to believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. What if he died? And I believe he died, and I believe he died to pay for the sin. But if he didn't raise from the dead, then where's my resurrection? There's no hope for me if I don't believe that he, God raised him from the dead. See, there's some elements that have to, to be addressed. We have to believe Jesus was born of a virgin. You have to believe Jesus was born of a virgin. Because that's the only way his blood qualified to be our, our payment. His blood was different because he was not born out of that model of Adam, that prototype of Adam with the same lineage. But he was the son of God, born of a virgin, so he had legal right to be here because he came in the legal door. Being born on the earth is the legal door. He came legally into the earth through the sheepfold door, John 10. He came in legally through birth, and that's why Matthew chapter 1 has the genealogy of the Lord Jesus to show that he had a legal human right, but his blood, the DNA sample, if you could take go to heaven right now, and collect a DNA sample off the blood of Jesus that's on the mercy seat, you would find out it does not have Adam's DNA in the blood. Adam's DNA is not in Jesus' blood. God's DNA is in Jesus' blood. God redeemed us with His incorruptible blood. Hallelujah. We've got to believe that He was born of a virgin to get to that place. To, to identify that his blood qualified as the legal, redemptive quality necessary to redeem me. But that's not what it says that I need to believe in this verse for my being born again. If I confess Jesus is Lord and I believe that God raised him from the dead... So for God to raise him from the dead, it had to be legal. God legally raised Jesus from the dead. So he could legally raise you from the dead. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I've got to believe that God raised him from the dead. If I only believe that he shed his blood and died, but I don't believe he's alive today then I'm not going to operate in this exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe. The exceeding greatness is connected to the fact that He raised Him from spiritual death and He raised me from spiritual death and I'm not the sinner I was. But I'm a new creature. I'm a new woman who never did those things. I never did those things on my arrest record. I did not do them. Because I am not who I was. I am who I am in Christ because He raised me from that spiritual dead condition. He birthed me anew. I have a new life that I didn't have when, I, when those things were done with this body. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
Romans chapter 6. Let's look at verse 4. Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Why should we walk in newness of life? Because the same way Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, when it says, uh, like as, we've got to finish the sentence. Just the same way Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also have been raised from the dead by the glory of the Father and should walk in. See, we've got to take that, that which refers to like as, and we've got to put it in the position to identify why we walk in the newness of life. The reason I walk in the newness of life is the same way Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. I've been raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, and now I walk in the newness of life. If we've been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Well, that's what the baptism is supposed to identify, that we're being planted together. And that's why, uh, you know, a lot of times when we baptize, the water's cold. And pastor says, there's never been a, a, a grave with a warmer in it. We don't get the grave ready and, and make it comfortable. You're not going to be there long, right? You're not, you're not staying there. And so they'll get in there like, oh, yeah, it's cold. Well, it's not a jacuzzi where you're supposed to get in and lounge and relax and stay a while. That baptism is to represent our burial. The burial of that old before Christ's self. The burial of that person who was shaping in sin and iniquity and spiritually dead and a sinner by nature. So that baptism, it says, we were planted, buried, buried, in the likeness of His death, we shall also be resurrected, you could say, in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, now do we see why the prayer from Ephesians 1 is that you may know what is the exceeding power, the greatness of His power towards us who believe that you can know it? Why? Because you've got to know it to walk in it. You've got to know it to stand for it. You've got to know it to receive it. Knowing... This, that our old man is crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed. That from this moment forward, we don't serve sin. We don't serve sin. We serve God. We don't serve sin. Sin can beckon and call and place its order and say, you got to do this. And you've got to act this way. No, I don't. I'm, I don't serve you anymore. I don't serve sin. He, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. That's not just putting us off until living in the eternity 
And I'm talking about live, live with him today. Live with him right now. Live in his victory right now. Live in his overcoming power now. Live with his supernatural strength in your spirit now. Hallelujah. If we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dies no more. Death has no more dominion over him. And if death doesn't have dominion over him, death doesn't have dominion over us. So I will not die. I will never die. Even if my body goes by way of the grave, should the Lord not return beforehand, I will not die. When that, if that takes place before the coming of the Lord, that I go by the way of the grave after my long satisfying life, I will be absent from my body, but I will be present with the Lord. I will not die. I will not die because death has no dominion over me. I am alive unto God now and I will always be alive unto God. And that's why the fear of death doesn't control us. Now, Hebrews chapter 2 says that Jesus came to deliver us from the fear of death, people who for all of their lifetime had been in bondage because of the fear of death. So the fear of death puts people under the control so that the enemy can pull strings and maneuver things in their life that lead them away from the victory God has planned. Lead them away from the peace and the overcoming that God has planned. Hallelujah. We do not fear death. 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 I'm saying it as many ways with as much inflection on every different word as I can. We do not fear death. Because death has no dominion over me. Death has no... Now see, you can't see that with your feelings. You can't feel that. It, it first has to be revealed. It has to be you taking this truth and saying, God didn't lie. God did not lie. God said, death has no dominion over Christ and I'm in Christ. Death has no dominion over me. So I won't be afraid of dying. Do you know what fear of flying is? It's fear of crashing. Fear of crashing. Fear of flying is really not fear of flying. It's fear of crashing. Fear of snakes or spiders is not really afraid of the spider or the snake. It's afraid of dying by a snake bite or a, a, a spider bite. It's the death attached to that fear that gives it the ability in people's lives to control them in a way that limits their victory. Pastor Steele talks about being on that rooftop. He was working on a roof with someone years ago, his brother-in-law, our brother-in-law. And he got up on that roof and every time he would get over to the edge, fear would grip him. And he said, I finally just went and stood on the edge and said, I'm going to stand here till I overcome. I will not fear. And he stood there and quoted the word. 
I mean, he wasn't being ridiculous like, ah, you know. But he was just, just to resist the fear. I just went and I found that, that place where, where it started to tell me I couldn't do this and to be afraid. And I said, I will not fear. And he stood there and overcame and resisted that fear. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And, and that's how uh, people who don't know to resist it. And listen, we are in a society that sells fear. We're about to go into a season and we're going to get our pumpkins and we're going to put our happy Thanksgiving stuff out, but other people are going to have their spiders and witches and vampires because they're selling it. They're selling it. And they think it's fun. What a deceitful that is. What a deception. What a deception that is. And people are going to pay, pay money to rent movies or to go to a movie theater and watch fear-based movies. Because they think it's fun. They think it's entertainment. They think it's harmless. Well, it's a little healthy fear. None, none. There is no healthy fear. There's no healthy fear. Why? Because fear has torment. Fear has torment. And perfected love, the Bible says, perfected, God is love. So the more I'm developing in Him, that fear is washed out of my life, cast out of my life. It throws it out the door, the Amplified says. Perfected love throws fear out the door. I will not fear. Well, that's where we need to be. We need to be so convinced by what the Word says that we don't fear. Death has no dominion over me. Death has no dominion for in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he lives, he lives unto God. Well, who are we talking about? We're talking about us in Him. You in Christ, me in Christ. I died in Christ. I died in Christ. The new me is the resurrected in Christ me. And I will live forever with God. In that He died, He died unto sin once, but in that He lives, He lives unto God. Likewise, so in this same way, now He brought it back to us, didn't He? In the same way, you consider, reckon is a word that means take account of, just like you would reconcile your bank account. I hope you reconcile your bank account. Reckon, reconcile, take account. When you reconcile your bank account, you look at every deposit and every expense, every debit on that account, and you make sure that your records match what the bank has so that you or the bank hasn't missed something that's going to mess you up because anybody ever not reconciled your account and about two months later you found a deposit that was not made at the bank and you're like, that's why I've been running short. But if you don't reconcile, you won't know it. You, and and you could, it could go. You could have enough money coming in and out that you don't even see it, that you did not put that amount down, that you didn't, didn't mark it. You may not even recognize it until it's two months later. Account, take account. So he's saying we need to take account of something because these are important deposits of truth, important uh, establishings of our position that if you you might say oh it's okay if I don't check on it it's okay if I don't look at that 
and then two months down the road you're into something and realize you're dead you're you're overdrawn you're overdrawn where your faith is concerned you don't know who you are in Christ so take account reckon likewise you reckon also yourselves to be dead indeed you definitely don't want to miss that on the reconcile you, you definitely don't want to miss marking that one down. So what does a reconcile do? I'm, I'm making sure that everything that the bank says has come in and that I say and come in have come, have come into my account or gone out of my account are equal. They are in agreement. Right? He says we need to reconcile that we're dead to sin. If you forget to put that one in your books, it will definitely mess up your, your amount on down the road. It'll mess up the outcome down the road. Reckon that you are dead to sin. You are dead to sin. And reckon that you are alive unto God through Jesus. You've got to reconcile that too. You've got to acknowledge that too. I am alive unto God. I'm dead to sin, but I'm alive unto God. And so that means... God has my remote control. God has my complete submission. You know, you could walk into my, my living room with your remote and you could try to make my TV play what you want to play. You could say, just have a remote. Let's say that Sister Evelyn comes into my house and she pulls her remote out of her, her uh, uh, purse and she says, I don't like what you're watching, Pastor Michelle. I'm going to change the channel. And she tries to take her remote and change my channel. It's not going to work. Because her remote is not programmed to my television. Right? So the devil's remote doesn't work on me. He can point at me and try to get me to do all kinds of things. Sin can try to just push my buttons and make me blow up and make me curse and make me say this and make me say that and make me throw a fit or what. I'm not, I'm not moved by those buttons. I'm not programmed to that remote. But if God prompts me, I am going to obey him so quickly. I mean, he just gives me a look like, Michelle, will you do this? I'm, yes, I'm on it, Father. I am here to do, I am here to obey whatever you, I've come to do your will. I'm on it. Why? Because I am so programmed to what God wants. I want to be, an, uh, I want to be quick response. I don't want to have to just press the button and come on, we're, you got to hold it right. I don't want God to be having to press my buttons five or six times. Come on, will you do this for me? Will you do, come, will you do this for me? No, I want to be, I, I, I've got, I've got, I'm tuned in to God's remote. I'm alive unto Him. I'm alive unto Him. And everything He wants for us is good. Everything He has for us is, is full of goodness and abundance and blessing and health and long life and protection and victory. There's not one day of defeat on God's calendar for you. Not one. He hasn't said, okay, you need to have at least two defeat days out of the year. So let me schedule one over here. And No, not one. Every day God opens up his, his day timer for you and he says, uh, victory. Oh, let me see what's on the calendar for tomorrow. Victory. Let me see what's on your calendar tomorrow. Victory tomorrow. And you just keep flipping and guess what's on every day? Victory. Victory. Victory, let me go back five more years from now. What's going to be in five years? Victory. Hallelujah. 
the exceeding greatness of His power towards us, we've got to know it. We've got to know it. We've got to know it. As we honor the Lord's Supper today, I'm going to have the uh, ushers distribute the elements. And as we do so, we want to recognize this is what is represented. This victory, this in Christ position is what's represented. Thank you, sir. Hallelujah. There are two tabs. You can open the top tab to pull out the wafer, the bread. Hallelujah. Now, I want to read a sermon from Jesus, just a portion of his sermon in John chapter 6. And it was a sermon that for those standing in the congregation that day, it was offensive to them. But you and I who are walking in the revelation of who he is to us, it is a great joy. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. Hallelujah. If any man shall eat of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Verse 53, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So the resurrection power that's at work in our spirit that is seating us in this position of authority will continue until we are raised in that last day. Hallelujah. He said, For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Now he that eats my flesh and drinks my blood, dwells in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna, and are dead. He that eats of this bread shall live forever." So what he's identified here in the communion is this supernatural connection. Now I will read from 1 Corinthians and chapter 11. The Apostle Paul said, I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, 
that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. The word remembrance is not identifying sadness. It's identifying celebration. It's identifying the acknowledging and the celebration and the full receipt of what this gives and deposits into our life. This represents the broken body. Broken for our wholeness. Broken so that our lives could not be broken, but instead be made whole, complete. Nothing missing, nothing broken. He is our peace. He is our nothing missing, nothing broken. He is our supernatural restoration. And this bread and the receiving of it this morning is receiving restoration and wholeness. He doesn't want you to receive this bread sad at what he suffered on the cross. He wants you to receive this bread glad of what he gave you in that great exchange. Hallelujah. This is celebration. I'm about to put wholeness in my life by putting this bread in my mouth. Because this bread is a recognition and a symbol of the wholeness that's mine in the Spirit. So that's what I want us to have. Would you stand with me to your feet? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Father, we stand honored in your presence this morning for the position you've given us in Christ. And we honor the body that was broken for us, giving the greatest honor by receiving the full measure of the benefit of that brokenness, which is our being made complete. So say this with me, Father, I receive the wholeness, the restoration, the fullness of life that is mine in Christ. In my physical body, in my family, in my finances, let your restoration have its full work. In Jesus' name, I receive. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for wholeness. Thank you for restoration. Thank you, Lord. You were broken for me. You were wounded for my transgressions. You were bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement necessary to obtain my peace was laid upon you. And by your stripes I'm healed. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. The New Testament in my blood. Covenant. This is your covenant sealed by my blood. This is all of your rights and benefits. 
all of your responsibilities and, and position as the son of child of God. This is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Hallelujah. Say this with me, Father. I celebrate my position in Christ. As I receive this cup, I take my place. I receive the authority you have delegated to me. I receive the inheritance, the privileges, the covenant, the protection, all that is mine in Christ to your glory. In Jesus' name, you may receive. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We take our place, Father. We receive. We receive, Father, of that wholeness. We receive, Father, of that wholeness. You may be seated. Hallelujah. We receive of that wholeness. We receive of that wholeness. We receive of that wholeness. We receive of that wholeness, Lord. Just lift your hands and just worship all that is yours by His shed blood and broken body, and His resurrection power. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We worship you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. You're so good. You're so worthy of the praise. So worthy to receive glory and honor. We magnify your holy name. We lift you up and we exalt you. Great is the Lord. Greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness. Beautiful for situation. The King of the whole earth. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. The decision to make Jesus Lord is the most important decision any person will ever make. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know today is the day of salvation. If that's you and you would say, Michelle, I need to know Jesus. I've never made that decision. I've never openly confessed Jesus as Lord of my life and believed in my heart that God has raised Him from the dead. But today I've seen it in the Word and today I want to make Him Lord. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? I want to pray with you and introduce you to the King of kings and the Lord of lords who is your Redeemer, your Savior. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Every person confident, face with Christ, Hallelujah. Remember, we have the decision to accept Him, to accept what He has made available 
in the death and the burial and the resurrection. It's ours for the receiving, but there must be a receiving. There must be that decision. There must be that committing of your life to the Lord to say, I accept Jesus as my Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Well, as we are here confident in the presence of the Lord, of our walk with Him, let's just take a moment and thank God for who we are in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your overcoming victory. Stand with me to your feet. Hallelujah.